Hello and welcome to the Somewhat Sustainable podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is episode three, where we're going to be joined by Paul Berryman, Head of Sustainability at Danesmore Group. Hey, Paul, uh, welcome to the Somewhat Sustainable podcast. Thank you so much for, for being a part of the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. It's uh, it's the end of the week and I'm looking forward to the weekend. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's uh, it's much appreciated. Yeah, I know it's a, it's a Friday and I've I've definitely got that Friday feeling looking forward to the to the weekend and uh, hopefully hopefully the weather's nice so that I can actually get out and spend some time outdoors as well. Um so Paul, um obviously you're from the the Danesmore group, but I wondered can you tell us a little bit more about yourself um, and what it is that you do at Danesmore group? Yeah, absolutely. So, so my name's Paul Berryman. Um, and as you've alluded to, I work for the Danesmore Group, uh, in my current role as head of group sustainability. Um, I'm just over 50 years of age, so 52, uh, born and bred in Cornwall originally, um, but now living in Richmond in North Yorkshire. Uh, so quite a way away from, from where I grew up. Um, but I've been in the kitchen, bathroom and bedroom. So KBB industry for, for nearly 30 years now. Um, I started back in Cornwall back in 93 working for a furniture manufacturer that was part of a large uh, UK group that was supplying um, major customers such as B&Q, Argos, MFI, Staples, etc. when they existed uh, and worked there for a number of years until, until unfortunately that business went into administration in 2009 um, and it was then that I joined B&Q, uh, who I'm sure you're, you're very familiar with. Um, started, started originally as a, as a kitchen, uh, bathroom and bedroom designer, um, selling those projects to, to consumers in stores. Um, did very well in my very first year with the business um, and eventually got asked to step out of that role and get into some regional coaching with other designers on how best practices to design and work with customers. Uh, and then very long story short, ended up relocating to Hampshire uh, to their head office in Chandler's Ford, where I eventually became uh, the bathroom buyer for sanitary wear and bathroom furniture. So I was looking after around £75 million worth of products in that category. Um, and then worked for their parent company, Kingfisher, um, where I was head of global sourcing for bathroom furniture. Um, uh, honest and transparency, uh, ended up leaving Kingfisher purely because of the travel commitments, um, at least four to five days every week abroad anywhere in the world, um, which takes its toll, especially as you get a bit older. Um, everyone thinks it's a glamorous uh, life and it is to start with, but it soon becomes a bit of the daily humdrum. So so joined the Danesmore Group in, in 2016, um, primarily working looking after clients such as John Lewis and Next um, in terms of some of their bedroom furniture supply. Um, and then rapidly progressed within the company to um, heading up um, a, a project to uh, to kickstart one of the new parts of our group, which is called Life Kitchens for Living, um, which has a, a state-of-the-art um, high-end kitchen showroom in Waterloo in London, um, but also a manufacturing division up here in the northeast. Um, so I'm based in uh, Newton Aycliffe, which is just outside of Darlington in County Durham. Um, and then got approached to do this role of sustainability, yeah, um, which I'm sure you're going to ask me a lot yeah. more questions about. A hundred percent. Yeah, I was I was actually sort of thinking, oh, you're going to sort of answer my next question for me for a second then. But yeah, so um, you are obviously the, the, the head of sustainability at Danesmore Group. Um, so how did that kind of come about? Did you did you push them? to to actually be more sustainable or did it come to you how how did that work 
Uh, it, it came to me actually. So, so back in October last year, 2021, um, I was approached by the owner and, um, the board of directors to basically say that, um, we need to start being more sustainable. Um, we don't see this, um, as a, as a PR stunt. This is something that has to be done. Um, because obviously businesses have to report on it in their, in their annual financial reports, et cetera. Um, and there is a lot more awareness, um, throughout obviously, um, not just the business world, but obviously, um, in the, in a day to day public world. So, so they, they really didn't have anything in place. Um, and they said to me, based on your current projects that you've delivered within the group, um, we think you'd be the ideal person. So I, I was obviously flattered to hear that, but. Immediately, a sense of panic came over me. Um, I basically said to them, I don't know a lot about sustainability. I know about sustainable sourcing through my time as a buyer. Um, and to be honest, their, their response was very honest. They said, that's good because we don't either. Um, so they said, it's a blank sheet of paper for you. Um, and we, we trust you to, to come back with findings, proposals, strategies, etc., uh, so I spent most of Christmas kind of not worrying about it, but thinking, <laughs> how big is this piece of paper? Where do I start on January the 4th when I came back? Yeah. So, so, so that, that's how it came, came about. And yes, so started the role on January the 4th this year. Yeah. So, so I guess your overall sustainability journey, you, you know, it was a, they said to you that obviously they, they weren't too aware of it. You said to them that you weren't overly aware of it. So I, I guess the whole, you know, the last sort of five months has just been a complete whirlwind, I imagine, and, and just one long continuous journey. Um, so why did they decide to be more sustainable? And, and as I understand it, you've, you've actually embarked on your journey to net zero. So why net zero as well? So I think t- two things. Um, the, to answer your first question about why um, did they think they need to do more about it? It's a lot of our customers. So we, we we've got a very complex business model which can deal uh, with trade customers. It can deal directly with uh, end consumers, um, but it also can deal with some of the um, big high street um, uh, brands. And obviously, what I've quickly found out with the world of sustainability, it's the demand of those customers, be they end consumers or be they the the mass markets that are um, demanding more of this upon their supply chain. So, so obviously we we have a, a very large supply chain throughout the UK, and we were getting asked these sort of questions. Um, so, I think a there was a. Uh, not just the sustainable requirement, for, but there was also the commerciality link to it as well. That hey, this is actually going to have either a positive or a negative effect on on our business. So that was the first part, and then the net zero pledge. I think is uh, first and uh, again, honestly with you, it's it's a legal requirement from the government that businesses need to be net zero by twenty fifty. So if you don't start it now, you're going to leave it too late, um, and especially when I've now seen. The modeling and the, and the exponential curves of, you know, what it's going to take to get to net zero. Um, I'm glad that we've started now. And I think, you know, again, in all honesty, it's businesses that haven't started it now are going to be in for pretty much of a shock if they leave it too late. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it is scary to see sort of some of the projections of how long it can take. So I think it was around the 5% mark year on year reduction to do it by 2050. And to do it by 2030, it's 12%. Is that right? 
That that's what Planet Mart recommend, but obviously that's based on an average of their their, their member base. Um, when I've actually started to input our emissions now, that uh, again I'm sure you'll you'll ask me more about that. But what we've been measured on by Planet Mark is actually the projection just of where we are today is going to need more like seventeen percent year on year to get to net zero 2050 because even with the modeling of the 12 percent just on scope one and two emissions there's going to be probably three to four hundred tons of carbon left that you haven't got rid of to net zero so and that that's just on an average of their case and obviously someone like ourselves who are a manufacturer and a distributor a distributor, um, our emissions are higher than some of those sectors. So um, it, it's you're, you're right. It's the five percent typical, twelve percent to get it sooner. But actually, you need to dive into it more at a, your own business level to get your accurate figures. And yeah, I saw seventeen percent this week, which is going to provide a nice challenge to the business. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, the, there's there's sort of being carbon neutral there's net zero there's climate positive um so you know obviously i've got an understanding of net zero but can you explain a little bit more about sort of what net zero is and what you actually need to achieve it yeah i think so it's probably easier to start with let's do the carbon neutral because that's the easy part first and then we'll do the net zero so 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 in essence what we've had to do in the, in our first first year of journey should we say with, with with planet mark is we've had all of our scope one and two emissions measured and and for those on the podcast that aren't, aren't familiar with it there are three greenhouse gas scopes um so scope one and two are the first ones that we measure and and primarily they're around your your buildings um and also the energy that you you consume, i.e. your electricity, your gas, um, and your, your refrigerants even in your air conditioning. Um, so, so those two scopes are what you can um, basically offset by buying carbon credits um, to become carbon neutral. So a lot of businesses have done that, um, and that is the easy um, option to do. Don't get me wrong, it costs your business money to do so, but you are investing in renewable energy products. The net zero element is where it gets much more difficult because it's now based on all of the science-based targets initiatives, which now include scope three emissions. And scope three is the journey that we are now embarking on in starting to think, how the hell do we collect all of this data? So um, we, we did some scope three emissions last year, which was around capturing fleet travel, so our company car mileage, our fleet of vehicles mileage, etc., um, and also our business travel, so trains, airfares, etc., uh, that sort of stuff. But the more difficult part that we're going to start to measure is our inbound and outbound deliveries. Um, so that's capturing the, the, the detail of, of, of uh, port of destination and point of origin. Um, it'll be the mode of transport, the, the actual weight of the products, et cetera. And we have to do that for every delivery we receive and every delivery we send out. Plus also working at the beginning of our supply chain with our top um, uh, customers who supply 80% of our business. We've got to start getting their scope one and two emissions because this all contributes to our net zero. So once we've got the scope three, We'll then know our full accurate carbon footprint. So we then have to get to net zero by 2050, which is actually physically reducing those emissions. And we can only offset the last 10% of residual emissions, which the SBTI have said you can't actually physically get rid of those. So I'm under no illusion. And I think this is clear for, for the listeners is um, a lot of people will make claims to say, yes, we're going towards net zero. And yes, of course, we have to because it's a government requirement by 2050. But that journey is going to be very difficult and, and very hard. And we make no 
bones about in ad, openly admitting it to avoid any claims of greenwashing that we are only at the beginning of our journey on carbon neutrality. Carb net zero, we will have a full understanding when we have our full uh, scope three emissions, which will be this time next year. So I'll have a true vision of where we currently are and then how much we're going to need to reduce and all the work we're going to need to do with suppliers and and obviously transport, etc. Yeah, so obviously... You know what you're alluding to there is that it's it's an absolutely huge job, and I, I think that you know the, this whole sort of climate crisis is is kind of it's requiring people to actually invest. You know, not only financially, but in in terms of time and effort. And I think, you know, as as someone recently said to me, there's no planet B. Um, so I think it's you know it's definitely something that's worthwhile doing. So, what are some of the sort of challenges that you've faced so far and, and how have you sort of gone about overcoming them? I think the biggest biggest challenge for getting the data collection side of it, because I said that's going to be a, a, a journey to embark on, but what will actually tie into that as well is, is, is two things around engagement and communication. So when you actually start even talking to some of these suppliers or even your customers, I would say at least 50% of them haven't got a clue what you're talking about. And, and I think that is, that is the true honesty because I got, I got uh, told recently some of the feedback I did from some engagement sessions internally was thank you for making an extremely complicated subject easier to understand. And I think as you alluded to just a second ago, there's so many, so much terminology, carbon neutral, net zero, climate positive, et cetera. It's what does it all mean? Because, you know, when I first started the journey from a logical perspective, neutral and zero are the same thing. Mm, 100%. Yeah. But, but in this, but in this world, they're not. So, so some of the, the, I would say the majority of the challenges I've found so far is engaging people to take this on a journey with me to, to understand because the, the clear thing that I've, I've found out on this very short journey so far. So yeah, you know, just over four months in now is thankfully I've, I've had been able to go on some courses with this. So I've just completed the Oxford University and say business schools leading corporate sustainability program, which was just an eye opener and helped with all of this and to turn it into business use within your own organization. But the key fundamental thing that stood out in every module was no single one person can do this themselves within an organization. It's impossible. So, so what I've done with the, to help on that journey is start communicating this. And as I said, we've held some engagement um, sessions, which we call sustainability sessions, which we, which I pulled together to basically set the scene. And I made no apologies to people. The first half of the presentation was going to be pretty grim in terms of it was setting the scene of where the world is today in terms of temperature, climate change, catastrophes, disaster, etc. You know, 150 million people have lost their homes in the last 10 years due to extreme weather. Um, and it was them breaking it down into how we can make a difference. So I think the key thing on, on a positive side of that, you know, we have around 390 employees and it's probably around 60% of our workforce voluntarily um, attended those, those sessions. So we've presented that to over 200 people now. And what's helping is, as I said, is that challenge of communication and engagement is these individuals who've attended it of going, I now know how we can start to make a difference. Um, and, I, and I can share, literally hot off the press today, I can share some positive news with you on how some of the things we've introduced already have started to make a difference. That's amazing. So obviously, it, it, you know, I, I guess similar to what you said about your presentation, though, the first half of the podcast, we've almost sort of 
I guess maybe focused on the negatives in terms of like, you mm. know, setting the scene for what is net zero, you know, being more sustainable and, you know, the, the prospects are pretty grim if we don't do anything. So what are some of those quick wins that you've kind of been able to implement within, um, within the Danesmore group? Yeah. And I think that that's what I'm really excited about to share, just seeing some data hot off the press this morning and believe it or not, it just, it revolves around bins. Okay. Um, and we, 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 we had a, um, I would say it's been a journey of a couple of months since we've introduced a new waste and recycling policy where, um, there's been a bit of teasing. People have called me the bin police, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, and, and I've also got, um, around 20 uh, sustainability champions across our business and all the different units who've all volunteered to join us. And they've also been called the BIM police because uh, what, just to give it to give it some context, what was happening in the past is we had a couple of the old Brabantia style um, bins in the offices, etc., which was sp- split into general waste and recycling. No one really knew which went, which sort of waste went into which. Um, and they thought they were internally doing the right thing. Um, and it wasn't until we got the data back from Planet Mart that was also then in collaboration with Veolia, our waste partner, that actually said 99.9% of our waste was going to landfill. Oh, wow. So this was this was unbelievable. It was, it was 120 tonnes. It was the equivalent weight of 18 London buses. So when I then showed that to people, it was, wow, didn't know that. And they well, we, we were recycling inside the office. And I said, yeah, but the problem actually existed outside of the offices because we were using only one type of wheelie bin that was all just going to landfill. So what you might have thought you were doing correctly was was wrong. So so what I introduced was um, we've now got a new bin system internally. So we've now got dedicated bins that are for dry mix recycling and general waste. And in our canteen facilities, we've got food waste bins. Then having done a audit with Veolia where we walked around all of the sites, something I never thought I'd do in my career, sticking my head in bins all day. Um, <laughs> it was eye-opening and, and something I never really want to do again. Um, but what we realized was, hey, we need to change the bins. And I, just a simple conversation, and again, this is about communication, said to Veolia, said, what sort of wheelie bins do you have? And they said, well, we've got exactly the same, dry mix, recycling, general waste, and food waste. So we introduced all of these bins across the departments. Don't get me wrong, it was a challenge to, to get people to realize that what should go in the food waste bin was only food waste, and there was packaging, etc. But we've now got that work, and it's been up and running for a couple of months. And today, Veolia have sent me the first four months of data, which I've compared against last year. So I'm pleased to say, just by using bins correctly, just between January and April, We've reduced 30 tonnes of waste from landfill. We've increased 10 tonnes going to recycling. And we've sent our first tonne of food waste to a local plant to be turned into biogas energy. So it's just an amazing success story. Just to tell people, just by using bins correctly, we're reducing our CO2 emissions. So I can't wait for a full 12 months of it to then see our year-on-year comparison. Because as you said earlier, the planet mark in, you know, minimum target is 5%. I've demonstrated with the team that we could probably get close to doing that 5% just by using bins correctly. So that's a real low-hanging fruit, um, real easy opportunity that any business could introduce. Yeah, so, I mean, who'd have thought it? Like, the the almost number one takeaway from today is actually use your bins properly. That's um, that's, that's, that's quite, the, quite the realization. So, 
I mean, obviously that was a, a huge amount that was going into to landfill and obviously it must be quite satisfying sort of now knowing that actually a lot more has been recycled, you're contributing positively towards more renewable energies. Um, so, I mean, how did you, how did you go about sort of educating those people to, to start using bins properly? How did you go about engaging them in this whole process and this whole journey? So I think that the first thing we did was um, at, a, at, a, at a face-to-face meeting with the sustainability champions, because again, as I said at the beginning, it's very hard for one person to do this. And we've got multiple sites across our, our business estate and nearly 400 people. So for me to go around face-to-face to 400 people is going to take a, a lot of time. And is, is in a lot of cases, is not practical because of shift work, et cetera, et cetera. So the sustainability champions absolutely helped me with the, with the message because we did a bit of fun and demonstrated how to use the bins, et cetera. That was followed up then by a, a brief one-page guide that went out to all of the managers, team leaders, supervisors, et cetera, is because not everybody in our business has has emails or access to emails. So it was about educating um, you know the wonderful people that we've got in our warehouses and on our shop floor, etc. Um, and then it was reiterated in the sustainability sessions. And you know, again, we made we made some good fun about that. We said the sustainability session. I said you're all expecting to turn up, and it's all about bins. Um, I said there will be a section on bins, but I can guarantee you, it's not just about bins. So, so yeah. we we actually made it quite quite personal, and you know, explained why and. Uh, at the end of the sessions, uh, I also ran a quiz on the whole presentation to discuss everything we taught. And we did include a fun round about bins, which was meant to be quite tongue in cheek, but it did help to reiterate the message. So it was a constant, um, communication. You know, it was face to face. It was, it was written. It was then presented in forms of a presentation. Don't get me wrong. There had to be a couple of emails with photos sent out of, what part don't you realize of spaghetti bolognese being put in a recycling bin when there's a food bin right next to it? So yes, yeah, you know, we run we run under no illusion with with all of the sustainability journey that there's going to be bumps in the road. But you know, pleased to say, just by getting that data today, it's proving that it's already starting to work. Yeah, that's amazing. I think getting staff engaged can sometimes be you know a really 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 tough sort of thing. You know staff are already super busy within their current roles you know they don't want to have to think about well oh actually i need to think about where i'm putting my food waste and where i'm putting you know that that can of coke that i've just finished it you know they just want to kind of get on and get back to the job that they're doing so it's great to hear that you've been able to engage you know so many people within that journey um but I guess one of the one of the other things is obviously you mentioned about the bins and that was kind of a quick win but have there been any other sort of things that you've sort of realized well actually we've done this and that's led to you know a reduction in costs or a, you know what what else have you kind of done so far and and what more do you plan to do yeah and I think you know and again in the all honesty that was the quick win and one of the easiest things to introduce from a from a hearts and minds perspective as well um the, to give you an idea of what we're, we're what we're working on next um, and again it's all about timing because we've literally just finished our financial year which was the 30th of April so now all of the big projects that I want to start doing will start to drop into the future financial years. And of course, you know, again, with, I think again, it's, 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 it's all about the honesty of anyone listening is that sustainability, um, will actually cost businesses money to begin with. Um, so it's impossible 
to do everything all at once, even though I'm the sort of person that wants to do everything at once because I've got that sort of infectious attitude that once I've got my teeth stuck into it, I want to get on with it. Um, but there also has to be a realistic and thankfully coming from a commercial background, I understand that, um, you know, it's, 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 there is a certain level of costs of, of what you can and cannot do uh, all at once. So the next step that we're working on is again, is a very simple one, um, to, to also engage hearts and minds. Um, it's not a huge cost to our business. Um, but for example, we have a lot of water coolers that are around the business and we currently buy, uh, 21,000, um, paper and plastic cups every year. Um, which come from recycled sources, so it's not as if they're virgin material. But a lot of the time is, of course, before I've introduced the recycling process, they just go in the bin. So, so what we're going to 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 introduce is um, is is I'm, I'm I'm hoping to get it signed off today. Actually, is branded water bottles for everybody within the business. And then we're going to issue them to everyone in the business and it'll have our logo on it. It'll have the Planet Mart certification logo on it as well. And then we're going to remove all of those plastic and paper cups. So that'll be another, it's a, it's a heart and minds thing. It's a very minimal CO2 impact, just being completely honest and transparent with you on that. But it's all about, it's another thing that's doing the right thing. It's, we're taking this, this paper and plastic, even though it's recycled out of our supply chain. Um, it will reduce some of the cost. Um, but we're also reminding people on a daily basis of the journey that the group is going on. So that's a quick win. The, the, the next big one that we're, we're really looking at doing, and I think this can give uh, the listeners some, some scale of what you can do. And it depends how old your business is. So our, our, our business actually started, um, over a hundred years ago. So it, it's a, it's a very well established family business. Um, but the existing buildings we're in, some of them are 30 years old. Um, so you can imagine the technology in those buildings is very, very outdated. So let's, let's just use, um, lighting as an, as an example. Um, I just thought to myself, I looked up at the ceiling in the office that I sit and I thought, there's fluorescent tubes in there. Um, now you can get LED fluorescent tubes. Um, but I thought we've got some fluorescent here. So a bit of Googling. Um, then, and this is the way that you can start on this journey by finding things that is use the internet. So, um, you know, look at the government's websites, etc., and then straight away coming back with, right, halogen lights have already been discontinued. Fluorescents are going to be discontinued in September 2023. And actually, we've got no LEDs in this building. Wow, okay, so, yeah. So I went, that must be costing us a lot of money and I'm sure some CO2 emissions. So I've engaged um, a, a, a specialist LED lighting company um, and this thankfully was a little bit more glamorous than sticking my head in bins. Um, but but we, we went round and looked at all of our sites across our three main in industrial units of, of where we're based and we looked at every single light fitting that's been used and the guys went away and came back with a 65-page report um, and quotation on cost to change to LED, the type of light they would introduce because we need some on sensors due to warehouses, etc. Um, obviously, then there's different lightings for offices, emergency lighting, etc., etc. So, so they came back with a full presentation, um, which I then compared against our energy costs so I could work out what it's costing us today in electricity with our fluorescence versus what it will cost on LED. So it allowed me to pull together a business case. Um, so the long story short is that this this will go ahead. Um, it's depending on do we do it all at once or do we do certain business units. But the overall cost was circa 160 grand to change all of the lights. But the payback period is less than 12 months based wow. on energy consumption, which then means you're making circa 160k saving every year. 
And in the very, very first year of doing it, you reduced 235 tonnes of carbon just by changing the lights. Yeah, I mean, that's something that we could all do in our homes as well. So absolutely, if you start like I I live on a couple of hundred house estate. So if every house in the estate changed every light bulb to LED, we'd be looking at saving, you know, similar amounts of of carbon, I would I would imagine. Um, So, yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely something that people can do on a business and personal level, which I think is um Amazing. And I, I think it kind of leads me into my, my next question, which was, is there anything which you wish you knew before you started this journey that you know now? Oh, that's a really challenging question. Um, I think one that if I knew how hard it was going to be, um, <laughs> I don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't think that would absolutely not put me off because I love a challenge. Um, but I think the thing that could appear daunting to people is, you know, I, I take my age, for example, 52 and thinking net zero 2050, that's 28 years time. You know, I'm going to be 80 by then. So probably not working. So I'm thinking, how do we develop a strategy to then be able to pass through? So I think the bit about for me is knowing some of the legislation, some of the guidelines um, that I probably, I'm not saying I wished I'd known before, but it would have been probably great to know what I was walking into. But I think that's going to be the same for, for anybody if they're even, you know, starting at uni to understand sustainability or whatever point you are in your career. Um, it's because it's such a complex subject, as, as we've said, is how, how, how do you know more about it before you start? So um, I think that that's probably what I would have liked to have known is to have had more background um, yeah. other than we'd like you to look after sustainability and this is what it <laughs> entails. But again, I, I think what's been great for me personally is that blank sheet of paper has really helped me to personally define my own um, trajectory through this complex subject. And one thing that I've, I pride myself in is I'm not afraid to put my hand up to anyone and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Can you please help and explain it? And the key thing I've learned on this short journey is collaboration and communication is key. Um, I recently did a, did an article for Positive News online, um, uh, magazine and they opened actually with one of my quotes, which was, this isn't an old school world where businesses can no longer really share their strategies because unless you talk to each other and share strategies, this isn't going to happen. Let's be absolutely crystal clear. It's not going to happen. And I'm so pleased to see some of the big names in our industry, um, not that we deal with them, but some of the big, should we say the biggest giant is Ikea, um, probably lead, lead the way in sustainability. Um, and they have a whole policy, as do a lots of retailers. I mean, Apple's sustainability policy is 140 pages. Wow. Um, I didn't know but that. It, but it, um, yeah. I mean, you can go onto all these websites and, and download the sustainability policies. One of our suppliers is 228 pages. Uh, little hint there, don't print it. Uh, <laughs> of the paper you do. Definitely don't um, print it. <laughs> yeah. But it, it is astonishing to see that this is now out there in the in the public domain you know this is this is what we're doing this is even builders you know you can you can look at building companies like barrett's you can look at bartley homes down in the london and the southeast they're leading now with things like the united nations sustainable development goals you know who, who would have thought that a builder would have led with that on their policies so um it, it's 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 this thing is more relevant and in your face now than I think it will ever be. And um, it, it just does go back to that whole thing as if we don't change now, um, the future generations are in 
pretty dire trouble, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's something that's really sort of important to kind of shine a light on is is actually to some extent we're not doing it for ourselves we're kind of doing it Correct. for you know that next generation you know i've, I've got a, a niece and nephew who are five and ten and you know they're acutely aware of the environment they love being outdoors but you know actually outdoors is is actually for them it's quite on their doorstep because they live in scotland but you know more local to me it's much more difficult to access nature um and i I, I saw a couple of statistics recently and it was like 96% of the planet is, you know, has had human sort of interaction or intervention within it. So only 4% of the planet is actually left to be, you know, completely wild, which it, it actually makes me a little bit sad in a way, um, which I think, you know, when we look at it like that, the whole mental health side of it kind of really comes to sort of starts to play into it a little bit. So how have you found it in terms of like, when you do engage people and for yourself as well, has it had a positive impact on your mental health working and, you know, focusing on sustainability? Yeah, I think, you know, again, the, the openness and transparency of it, I don't feel stressed about it. I feel excited about this journey. Um, you know, as I said, there's, there's no doubt it's a long one and a difficult one. Um, but it's, 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 it's challenging, but in a positive way. Um, and I do look at some things in a, in a different light. Um, my, my wife will tell you that I'm a pain in the backside at home going around and switching lights off in rooms that aren't needed. <laughs> yeah. um, but that, I'll be honest, again, that's probably not even down to a sustainability perspective. That's down to a cost of living perspective. That's just the, you know, uh, the cost of electricity bills has, has gone through the roof and shocking to see another 40% in October. Um, so, so I think what it, what I would say is how from a, from other people's um, perspective is when I did the sessions, it was all around, I asked them the question, what do you think sustainability means? And that was the really one that the question that started to open people's minds. And a lot of people said, I said, look, they were quite frightened to say what they thought. And I said, look, this is a safe room. We're not recording or anything like that. I said, what you'll find is exactly what I thought. It's a bit of recycling. It's maybe, you know, sustainable products. But what does that word actually mean? And they threw a few things of these out, what they thought in our industry, packaging, recycling, waste, renewable energy, etc. And then when we showed them the, 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 the true definition of sustainability, which was released by the UN back in 1987. So I said, this shows it's not new and it was all about making sure that what we do today doesn't compromise the future generations needs of their own so what i did then was say to people in the room who here has got children so half the room put their hands up and i said it's your children's future and it immediately brings it to home and they go god i didn't think about it like that and i said i said i haven't got children so i said i could be very selfish and go not my problem but that would be very selfish. And I said, and that's the problem. If we all have that attitude and there will be people that do have that attitude, then it's going to be even harder to make that change for the future. Um, and then when I tied it into the statistics, obviously, about global warming, et cetera, and then go, did you actually see the data that the UN released a few weeks back? And they were showing that the... Uh, the trajectory where you know we know we know we know we need to keep the warming to uh, less than one point five, and the original projection was two point four, um, based on governments. It said it's actually now projected at three because the world is heating up and not actually cooling down for what we need it to be. And I said the net zero twenty thirty pledge by the UN is actually more like net zero twenty twenty five, which is three three years. So, and they said, what happens after that? I said, kind of irreversible damage. So I said, this isn't a science fiction film that you see on TV. This is reality. Um, so I, I, I absolutely think when it touched then on there, should we say, 
their initial own emotions was, this is my children's future. And I said, look, we're going to be long gone by then. Um, and I said, but is that the right attitude to have? I said, I know Elon Musk wants us living on Mars, etc. by then. And I'm sure a lot of that will happen with the way that SpaceX is going. But let's focus on the reality is it's your children's future. So I think that emotional and, um, and also from, from the, from the mental health side of it, you know, I, I find it, you know, when I, you know, I, at the weekends I go and do extremely long walks, etc. And I'm lucky to live out in the Dales in Yorkshire. So I'm out there. I literally see no one. Um, there's no cars. There's no vehicles. The smell, the you know, the air is fantastic. But you know, having lived closer to cities as well, it's such a. You know, I have to go to London uh, for, for work on Monday. Um, looking forward to seeing my colleagues who work in London, but not looking forward to being back in London. Um, and that's that's just the true, true, honest approach to it, because um, it's just a completely different way of life in terms of the environment, especially. Yeah, I think the by sort of moving towards, you know, by, by achieving net zero, if, if everybody can do that, and if we can move towards a, a greener future, I think that's something which is very important is actually not only to be more sustainable, but to rewild, you know, our landscapes and actually give people access to that. It's good for our souls. It's good for our mental health. Um, Absolutely. You know, I, I was in Scotland and I was on a lock side. I was camping. I had my dog with me and I cooked on a on an open fire, which is, you know, in te- technically is not the most sustainable way of doing it. But it was locally sourced logs. You know, it was. Yeah. It was as sustainable, it was as living off the land as I could be for just one night. And I turned my phone off, I was completely removed. It was amazing. And I think if we can have that a little bit more on our doorsteps, that's going to help us to actually want to reconnect with that that side of life. And I think that's really going to help to drive the sustainability message. So it kind of brings me on to my sort of last and final question, which is if you had one tip for either an individual or a business to get started on their sustainability journey, what would it be? The one tip I would give, and I think I'd actually would, would love to see, should we say, let's do it from a business perspective first. I think I would actually, I think to get everyone to a net zero 2050, I would like, I would actually like this to become a legal requirement for all businesses is that every business should have their carbon footprint independently measured and verified by an external party. Um, and the reason I say that is, A, you know then without any um, chance of it being, the numbers being manipulated by your own business, that you know the number is accurate. You then have a baseline. You know where your starting point is and you know where you get to. Um, you know, when I looked at it to start with, there were lots of online calculators, etc. And I thought these look extremely complicated. Uh, I don't know really know where to start. And actually, then when you get into the full sustainability journey of the whole greenwashing claims, as if I didn't get someone to do it independently for us, how are my claims accurate? So I would say from a business perspective, seek out professional help, get your carbon footprint measured. You'll then know exactly the areas you need to focus on. And then you can start working on your plans on how to reduce it. From a personal perspective, um, I actually did this myself this week. Go and download the WWF's My Footprint app, um, and and be prepared to be scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not it's not a nice uh, picture, is it? It's not. So I don't. I you know again, in all honesty with the listeners, I did I did my own, um, and 
you know, I, it's, it's based around four topics and I think it's about six or seven questions in each topic. Um, you know, there's lots of things, you know, I obviously could have looked to have manipulated it, but what's the point? Um, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the first question I think was, you know, your, uh, the amount of meat that you eat, etc. So thankfully we eat it very rarely. Um, uh, but I'm also am aware that the meat sector is one of the largest emitters uh, of carbon in, in the in the world. So there's lots of stuff I thought, well, this is good. I don't do that. I've not had any flights in the last four years. I've not been on holiday, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't do a lot of traveling other than commuting to work. But my projected carbon footprint still came out at 13 tonnes when the UK average is 10 per person. And it shocked the living daylights out of me. And so I would say to everyone, go and download that app and just, you might not think, oh, I don't care, that's, that's fine, but try and understand what it is. And then you can do those simple things, like even at home, you know, it's like I said to people here about the bins, let's just go back to that. You will recycle at home because A, the waste is only collected every two weeks now, if you're lucky. So if you don't recycle, your bins are going to be overflowing. Yeah, yeah. So we are recycling cardboard, glass, plastic at home. Um, you know, we are recycling and uh, our garden waste, um, you know, and then we're just putting, you know, general rubbish into, into the bins. And some people will probably go a step further and do their food waste. So recycle and do what you can at home. Um, and also, like you just said about the lighting as well, look about replacing your lights to LEDs. Um, because A, it's going to reduce your footprint, but it's going to save you money as well. So I think just if everyone could just recycle, and, and this might sound obvious, but I think the amount of people that probably don't do it is recycle, get your lights sorted at home, think about your switch off. You know, we do a switch off campaign at work now because um, it'll save you money and it will reduce your footprint, which is which is very important. That's that's amazing. I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. It's it's simple things that we can kind of all do. And like I say, I I've seen the WWF my footprint app. I haven't yet actually put in my data, but I'm pretty sure it's going to come out quite quite scary. Um, but yeah, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast today. Thank it's you. been inspirational in so many ways to know a business that was never set up to be sustainable but is actually now recognizing that that transition and is kind of going through that so paul i, I really appreciate it and um, yeah i hope you have an amazing weekend and hopefully we get some sunshine that you can enjoy as well brilliant thank you so much for having me paul same to you thanks cheers bye now cheers bye bye